I want to just focus this morning on these couple of verses toward the end of this letter in Galatians, especially verse 10, this idea of doing good to all people. It sounds like such a cliche. You know, we know we're supposed to do good. We know we're supposed to be good people. It sounds like just behaving yourself and doing moral deeds and and just being some shining example to other people. But there's actually more going on in this verse than you might at first think. The word good in verse 10 is the word agathon. And it can just mean generally good, just doing good things and being a good person. But when it's used in this particular context of facing outwards towards culture and society, doing good to all people, it takes on quite a specific meaning. Ancient cities, much like modern cities, ancient cities like those ones in Galatia where Paul had visited cities like Lystra, Iconium, Derby, these cities had all kinds of needs, just like modern cities do. They had social needs. They had people in poverty that needed to be looked after, fed, cared for. They had orphans and widows who needed to be uh, cared for and taken in and uh, provided for. The cities had economic needs because they were largely agricultural economies. They would often experience grain shortages, food shortages, water shortages, and they would need people to help with this kind of stuff. The economy would be so turbulent and fluctuating during those times. Uh, cities had various civic needs. They'd have some public utilities that needed to be built, and you know, much like today, all the councils would cry poor and they didn't have enough money. And What would often happen is that citizens of these cities stepped up. Whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, if you lived in a city in the ancient world, you, you would often see it as some sense of responsibility to act in a way that helped the needs of the city. Maybe if you owned a grain business, marketing, selling grain, and the city was going through difficult times economically, you might sell the grain below market price in your city because you were trying to act on behalf of your city, and you were trying to do good to your city. You, you may put up your hand to be an ambassador for your city. Citizens could put up their hands to be uh, envoys, ambassadors in regional affairs. You could go and represent your city at some regional meeting. You might provide food for the poor. You might provide for orphans and widows. You might make a contribution towards the rebuilding of the, of the city theater or the public baths or something, you know, some public utility. You might help with. People that did this were known as benefactors. They were acting on behalf of their city because they loved the city. They weren't getting anything out of it. They were giving. They were altruistic. They were giving away. And often, what's interesting is often when you, when you read of these people in ancient, ancient literature, the things that they do for their cities are described as agathon. They are described as doing the good for their city doing the good on behalf of their city. I'll give you just a couple of examples. These are actual inscriptions that archaeologists have dug up from around the city of Athens. They date to about the Greco-Roman period, a couple of hundred years either side of when Paul's writing. There's a guy called Menelaus, apparently, in the ancient city of Athens, uh, and who was praised because of his benefaction towards the city. Here's what was written about him. The people of Athens resolved to praise him because he is a good, that's the word agathon, good man, and he does whatever good he can do for the people of Athens. It is resolved that Menelaus be considered a benefactor. This is actually written about the guy. This is what he did. We don't know precisely what he did, but he did something that was considered good. Another person had this written about them. A benefactor of the city, a good man, and he does whatever good he is able to do for the city. Similar language. 
And a third inscription, same language again, whatever good he is able to do for the city. You see the same wording over and over again. These are actual people. These are actual inscriptions in Athens in the Greco-Roman period. These people referred to as doing the good towards their city. They are being public benefactors. They are undertaking civic duties. And what is interesting is when you get to the New Testament, this exact word, agathon, crops up in these exact contexts three times. Three particular passages pick up on this idea of doing the good, not just to one another, not just in a private sense, but to our community, to our city. The first one is in Galatians 6.10 that we've just read, but have a look at the other two for a minute. Over Romans 13, Romans 13 verse uh, 3. This is Paul again writing a little bit later in his career. In uh, the end of verse 3 in Romans 13, he says, Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right. That's the same word, by the way. It's just translated right here, not good. But it's the word agathon. Do what is right and you will be commended. So it's the same idea. And the motive here is being free from fearing the ones in authority. Do you want to be free from fear of the king, fear of the council, fear of the emperor? Best way to go about that is do the good. Do what is good towards your community and towards your city, and then you will be commended, just like it's exactly what happened to Menelaus. He was commended. He was considered to be a benefactor. And then over in 1 Peter chapter 2, the same word crops up again in the same context. Uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. So we're talking about submitting ourselves to the worldly authorities. And then down in verse 15, For it is God's will that by doing good, same word, agathon, you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish. Isn't that interesting? Same context. Submit yourselves to the, to the authorities that are over you and do the good and by doing the good, you're going to silence the ignorant talk of people that might otherwise be suspicious, that might otherwise shut you down, that might otherwise critique you. The way to counter that is by doing the good, by doing agathon. So when you come back to Galatians 6, I think there's a picture that's emerging here. I think what Paul's encouraging us to do and encouraging these Christians living in Galatia to do is not just to be do-gooders, not just to be moral people, not just in some generic sense to do good. He's encouraging them to be civic benefactors. He's encouraging them to do good on behalf of their city. He's encouraging them to do exactly what Menelaus did and to act in the interests of the community in which they're living. Do good to all, to all people, as we have the opportunity. This is what Paul's saying. This is what it would have meant, is doing... Seeking the welfare of the city in which you live. Seeking the good of your community. And Paul's not just telling them that for the sake of it because he's thought of some good idea. He's standing here in a tradition that goes back at least as far as the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was writing to the Israelites in exile, living in a strange and foreign land in Babylon. He's writing to them about how they are to conduct themselves in a culture that doesn't follow their God, in a society that doesn't respect their worldview. Sound familiar? Within a cultural context 
that's living by a different story in which the Israelites attempted to disengage from their culture, write it off, separate themselves, and just bunker down in this holy little huddle. And Jeremiah says, do not do this. In chapter 29 of Jeremiah, in verse 4, he says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And here's the clincher verse, verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city into which I have carried you into exile. Literally, that means seek the welfare of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah is saying, do not disengage from your community. Do not just huddle over in the corner in some little Christian ghetto, some little Israelite ghetto, but immerse yourself in the life of the community. Immerse yourself in the life of the city to which I've called you. Immerse yourself in its educational life. Immerse yourself in its governmental life. Immerse yourself in its social life, in its public life. Get involved. See yourself as citizens there. Jump into this thing. Don't retreat and cut yourself off from it as some separate little click, but seek the welfare, seek the good, seek the peace of the city into which I've called you as exiles. Because in the welfare of the city, you're going to find your own welfare. As the city prospers, you'll prosper. As the city becomes safer, you will become safer. As the city becomes more economically developed, this will flow to you as well. Seek the welfare of the city. I don't know whether we really see this as part of our Christian identity, to seek the welfare of the city around us. But I think the New Testament writers saw it that way. I think their dominant paradigm for understanding Christians in the world was exile. Not Joshua and the Israelites at the edge of the promised land about to take the city for the Lord. That's not how they thought. They saw themselves as exiles. This is exactly how 1 Peter starts. Peter starts his letter addressed to the exiles. And he's not talking about just Jewish exiles. He's using it as a metaphor. And he's saying God's people living in exile in your own land, in your own world, in your own community. We are exiles in Albany. We are exiles on the North Shore. Why? Because we're living within a culture that lives by a different story, follows a different God, and has a different worldview. We're seeking to be faithful to God, but we're living as exiles in the midst of a land that walks in a completely different direction. We are exiled. And we have that sense sometimes, don't we, of dislocation. Like, this really isn't home. This really isn't us. We are exiled people. And time and time again, through these three New Testament passages, Paul and the Apostle Peter call us as faithful exiles, not to just retreat inwards, become a little self-centered, insular church, but to look outwards and do good to our city, to do the agathon, to seek the welfare of our city. I think at best, we just think this is maybe something that's peripheral to our Christian faith. But the real business is, you know, my personal devotional life with God. Of course, that's critical. 
But, you know, we think, well, the real thing is what happens in church, you know, in these services. But Paul would say, and he does in this passage in Galatians 6, that seeking the good of our city and acting in the interests of our community is an expression of sowing to the Spirit. This is, what he, this is why just before this, this verse, he talks about sowing to the Spirit and reaping a harvest. He's not just saying sowing to the Spirit is about loving each other within the church. Sowing to the Spirit and walking by the Spirit is also about our disposition towards the world around us and how we act in the interests of those who are outside the church. When you put up your hand and stand for a position on your school board of trustees that your kid goes to because you want to be a positive presence, and bring a sense of Christian virtue and values into that school. You are doing agathon. You are seeking the welfare of that school and, by extension, your city. It's exactly what this is talking about. When you give to a cause that is genuinely doing good within your community, that is helping others, that is meeting a need, you are doing agathon. When you take notice of a colleague, and just for a minute stop thinking of them like a colleague, but as someone that maybe is going through something that's really tough, and you get alongside them, and you speak some affirmation to them, and you see maybe there isn't even a practical way that you could just help that person meet a need and be Christ to them, you are doing agathon to them. And by extension, you are seeking the welfare of of the city. You are sowing to the Spirit. And if we don't become weary in doing good, at the right time, Paul says, we're going to reap a harvest. We might not see that in our lifetime. It may be the new creation that God brings in that's going to be the real harvest when all things are made new. But for now, we're sowing the seeds of it by doing the good, seeking the good, and meeting needs wherever we possibly can. That's why this trust is established. That's why Shaw Community Trust exists, because we are seeing this as an opportunity to do good, to do agathon, to seek the welfare of our city. When Joel Hendrickson walks around this school and interacts with students and speaks affirmation to them, to people that otherwise may have just heard condemnation and critique for years and years and years, he is doing the good. He is acting in the welfare of this school, of those kids, and by extension of this city. He's doing precisely what Paul called us all to do in Galatians 6.10. And as we get behind him and support him through the work of the trust, we are participating in doing the good. Now I know some of you already looked ahead and you're like, hey, hang on, you haven't dealt with the last bit of that verse, and it says do good to all, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. So shouldn't that mean especially us? Don't worry about those people out there, this should be us. It should be a little group hug. That's what this should be all about, right? Well, it's, well, the word hug's not in there, but it does say, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, and that's critical. We must never serve our community at the expense of our church family. Can't say that strongly enough. We must never serve those outside the church, our community, our city, at the expense while needs go unmet within the church. That's not acceptable. And that's why Paul spent so much of chapter 5 talking about carrying each other's burdens. And we've talked about this. Of being there for each other, meeting needs, being present to each other, being encouraging, being interrupted by each other, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit towards each other, love, kindness, peace, patience. These are things that should characterize our common life together. 
That's much of what Paul's detailed over the last chapter. But meeting the needs within the body of Christ does not negate our responsibility to do good to all. And I don't know why people feel like this has to be an either-or thing. You know, we kind of set one against the other. And, and I know some of you are more passionate about meeting needs within the body of Christ. And for you, you want to just get in there and help the family. And that's good. And others of you, you really get fired up by the community idea. Talk about the trust, serve timber. That just presses your buttons. That's brilliant. And different people, different strengths, different gifts. That's wonderful. But it does, this is a false choice if we play one against the other. It doesn't have to be one against the other. It's both. We're commanded to do both. Of course we're commanded to love each other, and of course we're commanded to do good and seek the welfare of our city, and to do good to all people. And the key word that, that helps us determine when to do what and how to work this all out is the word opportunity. Do you see that word in verse 10? Therefore, as we have opportunity. That's a wonderful word. It's the Greek word kairos. It's two words in Greek for time. Kronos and kairos. Kronos just means the passage of time, the sequence of time. Time is passing, on it goes moment by moment. But kairos means particular moments. In the Bible, it's often used of God moments. Times when God crosses your path, brings somebody along, brings something along, brings an opportunity. God just intervenes, and there's a moment, and you know that it's a God moment. It's an invitation to step into something and not away from something. And Paul says the key to doing good is to look and to be tuned into these kairos moments that God brings along. When there's a particular need within this church, somebody you know who's hurting and struggling and there's something you know you can do, it's a kairos moment. That's God passing by giving you a window and saying, hey, step into this. This is for you. This is for now. This is today. This is a moment. Have the courage to step into it, to do what God's laying on your heart to do, to say what God's laying on your heart to say, to step into it. And God may be giving you a kairos moment to do good to somebody outside of the church. In some small way, in some big way, somebody at work, somebody you know, somebody you just happen to, to meet at a gas station, whatever it is. But there's a kairos moment there. Just to step into something, to have a conversation, to do good, to make a donation. There's a whole list of kairos moments on the screen just a minute ago. Opportunities to participate in the work of Shaw Community Trust. These are Kairos moments. The whole establishment of that trust, the whole establishment of 24-7 for us was a Kairos moment. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was God crossing our paths, not something we did because the credibility gap between us and the school was massive. And it was God that bridged that, that softened hearts, opened doors, and facilitated conversations we couldn't have dreamt of that got us a youth worker placed in this school 10 hours a week. It was a kairos moment. God stood in front of us and said, are you going to step into this? 10 reasons why maybe we wouldn't, shouldn't, can't, or won't. But how about this? Here's a kairos moment. Here's an opportunity to do good to students who def desperately need some faith and some hope and some life and some love. And we stepped into it. And now as a church, there's opportunities to step into this some more through contributing, through partnering, giving some time, giving some skills, 
giving some money, doing what you can do? Is there a Kairos moment that's coming across your path? Is there something, even today, as you sit here right now, is God just pressing on your heart? There's a Kairos moment. There's somebody. There's a need. There's a way somehow for you to do agathon, to do the good. And maybe you're just so tunnel vision, you're like, I've never even thought about that because I'm just doing my thing and I'm getting my work done and I'm just, it's enough just to meet my needs. But Kairos moments about opening yourself up to what God is doing around you, maybe even while you're struggling yourself. And maybe it's precisely because you're going through difficult times that you can be a little bit more tuned in to those around you and a little more sensitized to their pain and a little more open to how God may be prompting and nudging and speaking to you to step into that and to do something, to say something or just to be present in a way that is agathon, that is doing good to all people and especially the family of believers. In the 4th century AD, there was a Roman emperor named Julian, Caesar Julian. He's not very well known, but he was one of the most ardent anti-Christian emperors in the whole history of Rome, right up there with Nero, not quite as violent as Nero, but hated Christians. He did everything he could during the 12 or so years that he was in power to stamp out the Christian movement and to restore the pagan religions of Rome, which he saw as the glory of Rome. He saw Christianity as a blight, as an offense, as an affront to Rome, and he wanted to get rid of Christians and the Christian movement and Christian thinking wherever he possibly could. Absolutely hated Christians. But there's a letter that Julian wrote somewhere around the middle of the 4th century that's been preserved. And he writes to a fellow non-Christian, and in this letter, he makes a stunning admission about the church. And it gives us an amazing window on what the church was actually up to during that time. He says this, and by the way, just before I read this quote, you need to know that he, thought, he called Christians godless Galileans. Godless because they didn't worship a physical shrine, which was considered... That, that's what true religion was. And Galileans, because that's where he thought that's where Christianity came from, that's where Jesus spent much of his ministry. So when you hear that phrase, that's who he's talking about. He says, It is shameful that the Hellenes should want when there is not a single beggar among the Jews, and the godless Galileans feed not only their own poor, but ours also. Isn't that interesting? Through gritted teeth, you know, Julian's forced to admit that the empire has let its own people down that it has not provided for the needs of its lowest and lowliest members. And it has taken these godless Galileans whom he couldn't stand to step in the gap and do precisely what Galatians 6.10 says. They have fed their own poor, but they've not stopped there. They have taken it upon themselves to seek the welfare of their city and care for those in, their, in, in the broader city who are poor also. Even before Julian lived and wrote in 250 AD, just within the city of Rome, the church just in the city of Rome was providing for the needs of 1,500 poor people. This kind of economic sharing was utterly unique in the Roman Empire. 
It just didn't exist. It just didn't happen until Christians started taking seriously their cultural mandate, coming from the words of the prophet Jeremiah, to seek the welfare of the city into which I've called you into exile, to which they started reading passages like Galatians 6.10 and Romans 13.3 and 1 Peter 2.13 and understood that doing good is not just something we do to one another and not just something that I do before God, but it's something I do and we all do towards our city. We face outwards. We do good wherever we can, knowing that if we don't become weary in it and don't lose heart, we will reap a harvest one day. Maybe not in our lifetime, but we'll see it when Christ returns. And for now, all we can do is listen for those Kairos moments. And when God brings it across your path, have the guts and the boldness and the faith and the courage to step into it and sow that seed and do good to all people. Let's do good as we've got the opportunity. Father, we ask for the boldness to do Agathon as your people have done for generations. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in these early centuries of the church who really took this stuff seriously. We want to follow in their footsteps, Lord. I thank you for this trust, the short community trust we've got set up. I pray your blessing on it for those who are leading and running it, that you'd help us to make wise decisions about how we can do good to our community and our city to seek the welfare of this city, not just for the sake of it, not just to be benefactors, but Lord, to bring your kingdom, to bring the light of the gospel and to bring the hands and feet of Jesus to people that desperately need it. Father, I pray even now that you would place on our minds and our hearts the kairos moments that are staring us in the face that we've maybe been too blind to notice. Lord, if there is someone, if there is a situation if there is some opportunity that's in front of us now to do good, to do agathon, press it on our hearts and just let it sink into our bones and stay with us until we find the strength of your spirit to say yes to it and step into it and seek the welfare of our city. May we be a church that seeks the welfare of our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.